The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. All right, we're live, everybody. And on the live version, you're not going to be able to hear it. And I'll explain why in a moment. But if you're listening on the podcast feed, the iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links. I am Mike Heck. So much to talk about this week on the program. We're coming off of a memorable UFC 285 event. We have two brand new champions. Some names emerged. A lot that happened. And then this weekend, Bellator is back with a doozy of a card. The UFC remains in Vegas, outside of the Apex. I think we all know why. So much happening and so much to discuss about these various things. So let us introduce the panel to help us with just that first. Let us say hello to Mr. No Gray Area, the Exhibition King, the man who showed us on Saturday that combat sports, it's an emotional roller coaster ride for many reasons, from no bets barred and damn they were good, Mr. Jed Mishu. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great, Mike. I'm, I'm just excited to be here uh, to talk about the, this weekend's cards, uh, Bellator, Bellator on a heater. So, uh, just thrilled. And, you know, I love my co-panelists today. Happy to be here. Happy to happy to have such a great opportunity to talk with y'all. Oh, now you're stealing gimmicks right off the bat. This is great. And uh, back on the show, the social media guru of MMAfighting.com. You might know him from the MMA Hour. He is the man with the best theme song in MMA history. Let us say hello once again to Mr. New York Rick. What's going on, man? How you doing, Mike? Um... Life can't be better. I don't think I, I, I think I'd be lying if I said that anything could be better. Um, I'm doing great. I feel fantastic. If you checked in with me last week, everybody knows I was in rough shape and I bounced back and 
everything's beautiful. I'm happy to be here, happy to talk to you, and happy to talk to my buddy Jed. I mean, what more could a man ask for? I mean, just incredible stuff. So for those watching live, as you can see by the production elements here, no Casey today. He's off for a few days, well-deserved. So I have to produce this to the best of my ability, and that's nowhere near Casey's ability. So we have ourselves a show, just the bells and whistles. You'll be able to hear it on the podcast network later, but the discussion will remain the same. So let's get into this, gentlemen. John Jones is the UFC heavyweight champion of the world. We live in this world. He submits Cyril Gaon in just over two minutes. This fight really never got going, New York, Rick, but Jones took the Michael Chandler approach to life. Wasn't there for a long time, but he was there for a good time, and he certainly had a, a pretty damn good time this past Saturday and became the heavyweight champion. So you got to react to this immediately on the watch party with myself and GC, but some days have passed. We're five days removed from John Jones becoming the heavyweight champion of the world. How are we feeling about it now? Yeah, um, I feel like John Jones, it, it, to me, there, there's obviously the, the conversation about like the fight itself, whether John, you know, um, exerted his will on Cyril, whether Cyril choked, is John Jones the, the number one pound for pound fighter? I don't think there's much debate about the GOAT conversation. I think that one's kind of been put to bed, but there's all these kind of permutations of the different reactions. To me, my biggest takeaway from that night was the UFC is short on stars. And John Jones is still a star and it's good to have the stars of the sport back um, in John Jones. And later this year, we'll also get Conor McGregor, uh, hopefully knocking on wood. Um, and yeah, John Jones still brings people to the arena, still brings people to the television sets, still is water cooler conversation. Um, and it, it feels like we've been missing that for a little bit. If I, if I'm being honest, it feels like we're kind of jumping from pay-per-view to pay-per-view. The skill level is high. The talent level is high. These guys are great guys and girls are great fighters, but they're not quite John Jones. They're not quite that level of star. And to me, it felt like a star was reborn. And that was my biggest takeaway from, from the uh, evening. And I still feel that way. Yeah, Jed. I mean, the, the buzz behind this card just, continued to amplify as we got close to Saturday. And then the buzz Saturday was just unbelievable. But five days after John Jones became the champion, biggest takeaways. What did you learn? Did we learn a lot? Where are we at here? I learned that you shouldn't bet all of your money on one fight uh, because <laughs> MMA is crazy and anything can happen. And even the wisest men can be humbled by their hubris. That's my biggest takeaway. If we're looking outside of my personal experiences for 285, uh, I think I'm not going to go main event because I still frankly don't know how to feel about it. There's just a lot at play there. Uh, if, if your biggest takeaway is from that, totally cool. Uh, it's certainly the marquee thing that stood out. I've had non-MMA friends reach out to me, uh, frankly, a little disappointed, being like, explain to me what happened, because uh, that was really boring and not an interesting thing to watch. I had that conversation this morning, in fact. Uh, and so I, I don't know, because if you had just told me coming into 285, hey, John's actually going to grapple. He's not just saying it. Then I'm like, oh, he's going to kill zero guys. <laughs> And like, because I would have said the same thing about Tiago Santos, but he didn't, for whatever reason, was like, I don't need to take down Dominic Reyes or Tiago Santos. I'll do bad jabbing at them and see what happens. Uh, 
so I guess we learned that he at least is intent on actually doing things well inside the cage, which is great. But there's another side of it too, where I am not trying to take away from the win. I think there is a world where in the coming years we look and are like, Oh, Cyril Gon's actually not very good. <laughs> um, he happened to beat a bunch of strikers and stylistically is good, but he's like Alex Pajeda in that. Okay. Well, he didn't have to fight any of the people who can attack him. So for me, the biggest takeaway is, and generally outside of my relationship to this particular bout is Alexa Grasso's for real. Like we talked about it a lot. She was losing that fight until she won it. Okay. Well, uh, that happens a lot. You fight for 25 minutes. If you make a mistake, you lose. Just ask Kamaru Usman. That, you don't take away from that thing. But even before then, the fight was exceedingly competitive in a fight that I thought would not be competitive at all. And yes, I know we've established I'm an idiot. I was far from the only person who thought that that fight would not be competitive. The general consensus was that this was one of the best matchups possible for Valentina Shevchenko. And it wasn't. She had to work, excluding the fact that she got finished brutally in the fourth round. The first round, she probably lost. She lost on all the judges' scorecards. I think most fans gave it to her. It was a competitive round. Rounds two and three were equally competitive. She controlled the fight with grappling, but she wasn't getting off big shots or landing too much damage. And she wasn't even having as much success grappling as people like me would have thought. So uh, some of that's Almost certainly Shevchenko falling off. Some of it is time catches up to you. Divisions catch up to you when you've been on top for so long. But I think a lot of it, frankly, is that Alexa Grasso is, this is not the same woman who got run over by Tatiana Suarez. She is ascended. She has arrived. She is for real. And I can't wait for our eventual Alexa Grasso Aaron Blanchfield fight. And we will get more uh, into Alexa Grasso's big win and what that all means uh, in, in the next topic. But it's, it's Thursday, and a lot of the topics surrounding the main event have already been discussed. It's been debated for days now. But there is one debate that I would like you two gentlemen to have because I had this debate with myself on Saturday into the wee hours of Sunday morning because when we do the MMA Fighting Global Rankings, when things happen, we don't have a lot of time to put our our ballots in for certain things. So the heavyweight rankings, the women's flyweight or the women's pound for pound rankings and the men's pound for pound rankings. We had to get those things done pretty quickly so we could kind of move on with everything. But the big debate was, is John Jones the best pound for pound fighter on the planet? The MA fighting global rankings panel as a whole says no, but he ended up at number three in our rankings behind Islam Makachev and Alexander Volkanovsky. He ended up at number two at heavyweight behind Francis Ngannou, which to me is fair, but the pound-for-pound pound discussion seems to be a little bit different. So, Jed, I have no idea where you were at on this. I haven't looked at other people's rankings. I have oh. not had the chance to listen to the ranking show yet, so I don't know where you put John Jones on this list, but <laughs> I would venture to guess you were not one of the people who had him in the number one spot. So, Quite simply, I guess the question for you is, is John Jones the best fighter in the world right now? And if your answer is no, where did you put him? I have him the lowest in the pound-for-pound pound rankings. I do want to clarify. I do not believe best fighter and top of the pound-for-pound pound rankings are the same thing. It's not how I approach them. Uh, 
I'm not certain he's the best fighter. Uh, he has a very good argument for it. Um, I would also say that Alexander Volkanovsky and Islamakachev have very good arguments for that title as well. But uh, we get into this pretty deeply in the Pound for Pound show because uh, cue just the infuriation of everyone watching this. I have John <laughs> Jones at number seven in my Pound for Pound rankings. And frankly, I feel really, really good about that. Uh, here's why. This isn't a historical list or a historical ranking, and that's why he's seven for me. He has one fight over a guy that nobody has in the, uh, yes, was a top three or top two heavyweight, but nobody has in their pound for pound list at all, and it's one fight. If you are putting him at the top of your list, you're either just saying, hey, he's the best fighter in the world, which I have no real issue with that. Like he... You can't prove that he's not, like at this moment, the best guy running. But if you're doing it by resume, I feel quite strongly that John's resume uh, is not worthy of being at the top of this outside of a historical context because he hadn't fought in three years. This is one win in three years. And before that, he had a should have lost to Dominic Reyes, uh, almost lost to no need Tiago Santos. And then the, the, awful fight with Anthony Smith. Like those aren't those all five years ago, by the way, like that's just not it. If John beats Stipe, he's going to move up the ranking. And if he doesn't retire again, he'll continue to move up. But for me, I am, I want pound for pound to be a bit more of a reflection on, you know, what, what's going on at the time, who is beating their contemporaries repeatedly and, and in a span of time. And so, I have Islam and Volk at numbers one and two, as I think every most everybody does, particularly the ones who don't have John there. And then I've got a number of other dudes. Like I don't think John's resume the last five years matches up to Kamar Usman's, frankly. I just think that that's fair. Even with Usman's loss to Leon Edwards, it's not there. If this is a historical list, entirely different. Very different conversation. But I'm not willing to move you to the best pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world because you were – undeniably the best pound for pound fighter in the world 10 years ago. And you have one win in the past three and a half years. New York Rick, your response to what Jed had to say there about ranking number seven. And after the watch party, I think you said something similar to France and is probably the best heavyweight, but John is the pound for pound best guy. So are you still sort of on there? Did I, did I communicate that correctly? And if so, yeah, where are you at here, and and how do you feel about Jed putting him at number seven in his power power rankings? You did, and I want to establish a few things up front. <clears throat> number one, in my uh, analysis of pound for pound, pound for pound is not equal to the divisional rankings conversation. There is a different metric by which they are measured. Number two, disclaimer: I don't think I think the pound for pound discussion is very similar to other sports kind of MVP discussion where it's quite frankly meaningless at this point and people have different criteria for it and there's not ever going to be a unanimous version of it because I think pound for pound should be what it was a traditionally conceived to be, which is a way to highlight people in different weight classes other than heavyweight at the time in boxing and an analysis of current skill set if and all Casey. things <laughs> remain equal. Um, and therefore, I arrive at the conclusion that John Jones, if everything was equal, is the most well-rounded and most skilled fighter on the planet right now and in history. 
and I would rank him number one pound for pound. Probably Kamaru Usman, uh, Alexander Volkanovsky, somewhere underneath there. Um, fortunately, I don't have to submit a ranking, so I don't I don't have an exact list in my head. But that's my argument for it. If you and and my third disclaimer is I I don't feel strongly about what pound for pound should be. I know what I believe it to be, but I do feel strongly that it shouldn't just be a straight resume resume conversation. Um, that doesn't really make sense. Like that's what the divisional rankings are for. Pound for pound shouldn't just be okay. We look at who has the best resume right now because then it becomes kind of useless and nebulous and even more confusing. Why, um, why does that become useless? A genuine question. Is it? Is there not? Because why is do, not the is not the point and purpose of this? Because the re, by by definition, the resume rankings are are ranking people in the same division, whereas they they share competition. Within, they share competition yeah. in that in that division. So pound for pound, they don't share competition. So the, your points of comparison are based on assumed or artificial value of their of their skills relative to their competition, but then not really relative to each other. It becomes insignificant. It's not really an, an indicator of anything. I, I don't feel like you can you can place that in order. It kind of just becomes there's 10 really good people and that's fine for me. That's good for me. Um, if we're going to do resume conversation, if we're actually going to do the exercise of comparing skills, if we're actually going to do the exercise of, of ranking fighters in a pound for pound discussion, now I'm more open to it. I still think it's kind of silly, um, but I become more open to it. But if we're just looking at resumes, like the divisional rankings exist for that reason, we don't really need to have an, a, a, a derivative list of that list. It doesn't feel necessary to me and feels kind of hard to actually do. I just disagree. I guess I I think you you say going back to the the purpose of it uh, in a in large part yes, I think things can change and evolve. And frankly, the purpose of this really is largely just clicks now. Like it's it's a fun yeah. dumb conversation, but to me the the simplest way to do it uh, or or the way that feels the most just or direct, however you want to frame it, is. All right, we have all these resumes of these people in their silos. How do we compare them to each other? And and how does this work? And how do they fit into the grand tapestry of MMA? And that's why I do totally agree with you in that nobody has a definition. Like our pound for pound rankings specifically do not have criteria attached to them. You can do whatever the hell you want. There's nothing, nothing that sets it apart. And that's why we have some people who have John Jones at the top. And that's why some people still have Volkanovsky at the top and Islam Akachev. It's it's open to wide amounts of interpretation. It's the beauty of discussions like this. Uh, again, we didn't have like a lot of time to do it. I probably, if, if I could do it again, I think I had Jones at five. I think I would put him at three. I would do Islam, Volk, John. That's where I would have it right sure. now. That's where I'd have it right now. I will also, I got to go back here uh, just because for, to you, Rick, <laughs> we're going to add some contention in here now. Sure. Let's, Let's go. Historically, I am not gonna. I'm not gonna buck on you about John at number one. If if the guiding light for you at the top pound for pound is the the composite of skills, yeah. By through what basis outside of his historical are you saying John Jones is better than Alexander Volkanovsky? I, I think- have seen Alexander Volkanovsky fight like five times in the last two years, and he showed arguably more, a more diverse and better set of skills than John ever showed at the peak of his powers, but certainly more than John showed the last three and a half. 
John showed a sick, like the ability to dodge a right hand, get a body lock and finish a dude who may very well suck shit on the ground. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't, I, I think if that's your guiding principle, Volk should be your number one fighter. It's a closer debate, right? I think, um, I think Volk is in that conversation. And I think as, as I mentioned, and I think you also mentioned Kamaru Usman, I think is very high on that list. I, I would have Kamaru above Islam if I'm, if I'm sticking to that principle. Um, sure. But it, I would disagree with your point that I think Volk at any point in his career, you know, just lapped John Jones at any point in his career. I would, I would argue that's not true. And I would argue that's not true today, quite frankly. Um, I think John Jones has skills um, that are superior to Alexander Volkanovsky's. He's certainly well-rounded, but Alexander Volkanovsky is not going to go out and do what John Jones did. And I think that matters. I think the ability to finish a fight in that way is a skill and something that should be um, factored into the equation that if John Jones wanted to, he could probably walk into a lot of these fights and be able to do that. Um, Alexander Volkanovsky, when he went up in weight, was unsuccessful. I would say that he looked good enough for me that I would rank him still very highly pound for pound and above Islam Makachev. But when John Jones went up in weight, he smoked um, a top heavyweight. So I think those things matter. And you're talking about the last three and a half years. And again, I would cite that for me, it's not a resume thing. It's a snapshot of this moment in time. I don't care what happened but, in the last three and a half years. No, but, Other but, than but by definition, you are caring about what happened 10 years ago is my argument. I'm because not. We, yes, we saw two minutes of fighting. We saw him take this man down and choke him out. I am not here to tell you that that wasn't a, a rock shit impressive performance. But you are saying, I think he has the best mo best set of skills from one performance in the last three years. Or you're saying, based on the totality of it, which by definition is a resume thing. And so like that's where I'm having the, the conflict here with you. You're grounding it in that it's entirely based on that one performance that we saw. Um, as opposed to, yes, there's a certain assumption of John Jones having certain skills still-ish. Um, but it's not a resume comparison. I'm not... I'm not reaching into the bag and saying because he beat those guys in that way i'm i'm granting yeah there is there is some ambiguity to it i will grant you that but there's not um it's not based on 10 years previous it is not based on the fact that he beat shogun hua i don't care that he beat shogun hua it is not because he beat rampage jackson i don't but care it is that he based beat on the skills he showed in beating shogun hua to an extent, yeah, I'm assu I'm assuming a certain a certainly baseline level of skills, certainly. Yeah, I don't think we can. That that feels like you're having your cake and eating it too. Sure, in this and I'm perfectly. Argument. And and here's the the beauty of it. I actually don't give a shit. I actually don't care. <laughs> oh, I couldn't. I, I couldn't care less who I the top. I couldn't care any <laughs> less because I know one thing, and that's John Jones is a better fighter than Alexander Volkanovsky. That I know. That I know. I don't care. I don't care about the, the pound for that. pound discussion. I know that. He might be. I saw it. I know it. It's fine. Um, he's a better fighter than Kamaru Usman. He's a better fighter than Alexander Volkanovsky. He's a better fighter than Islam Makachev. He's a better. He's fighter undeniably than a more accomplished fighter. Than go down the list. I'm not but I really don't better, care. But I, I really don't care. You know what's funny is before we went live, I was like, I have a feeling you guys are going to get after it at some point. And you're like, nah, we agree on everything. Rick's a smart guy. Jed's a smart guy. And 15 minutes in the show, we got a little debate going. And 
again, I'm, I'm kind of with both of you that it's just, it's barbershop talk. It's sit at the bar and, and discuss. It's nobody really cares at the end of the day. And if Kamara Usman beats Leon Edwards next Saturday, guess oh, what? Yeah, We're going to have this Mike, conversation again. So many people care, Mike. I don't know. A lot of people this. care. So yeah, many people care. I'm not one of them, but a lot of people do. All right. Fair enough. Um, one last thing on this that I want to talk about, because we know where John Jones is likely heading. And I think it's very smart. He's taking the prize fighter path moving forward. He's going to fight Stipe Miocic. That's probably it. Uh, unless they can somehow, some way, Francis comes back to the UFC, which seems very unlikely 50, right 50. now. He, all right, 50-50. That's better than No, not, we not were. that Francis comes back, that John retires. Why? I thought you would be higher on that. So I initially was, and I am pretty firmly in the camp that that, uh, maybe it's 60-40. I, I think that the most likely outcome is he comes back and fights Stipe and retires. But we talked about this also on the ranking show, which I sort of re- realized at the time that we were doing it. Uh, it is unlikely to me that he will particularly care to fight Curtis Blades or Sergey Pavlovich, etc. Tommy Aspinall, maybe. Tom comes back, gets a big win. He can juice up a crowd in, in England. Maybe that could tickle his fancy. But I think what does interest John and what, again, I don't know John, but what does interest John is legacy. And he very clearly to me wants, wants the conversation of GOAT to be nothing, to, to be entirely settled with him, which is a huge ask and really isn't accomplishable ever, like just in general. But insofar as it is, he, he's done a great job. At, at He is where the conversation starts at this point in time. But he beats Stipe. Do you know what that makes him? Two wins away from tying the record for heavyweight title defenses in the UFC. If he beats Stipe and then beats two other Jamokes, pick him out of a lineup, roll him out there, and he does it, he now becomes the undisputed greatest light heavyweight of all time and has a very, very good argument to be the greatest UFC heavyweight of all time. And if you are the best in two divisions in the top of the sport, the pinnacle of the sport at the heaviest weight classes, there may not actually be a credible argument against him. That doesn't start with that one time he filled for drugs. So there's a world where he just looks at it and says, I just need two more of these. F it. Let's do it. Yeah. He's got two of those on his resume, by the way, the, the drug, the drug, uh, so yeah, but the one the the one doesn't count anymore, right? Like, <laughs> I, I, the, two actually, the two don't count anymore. There's there's a there's a whole. I, well, no, I, I'm actually like totally on on board with him. Of like, if they change the science, like then whatever. That's all. The no contest should be a thing. That's never gonna happen. But like, I'm with it. It still doesn't take back that he popped at UFC 200, then the fight fell through. Like that one yep. will stay there because that's not the same thing. But you know. The conversation, that's the only if, – if he goes and defends the belt three times, even if it's a somewhat papery belt because he didn't get it from Francis, it, is there a credible argument against him being the GOAT that doesn't start with that one time he popped for drugs? I mean, or I would he's ask kind of a dick outside the cage? I would ask the question, is there one now? There are, there are credible arguments now. For who? Make the case. It's George St. Pierre. Um, I also think that there – I am a very unique in, or a, a, I'm on a bit of a lone hill and like 
Demetrius Johnson and Anderson Silva should also be in the conversation and Fedor to some extent. Uh, I think that there's a reasonable argument that you shouldn't take uh, the losses after the peak of a career uh, against somebody because if John continues to fight into his 40s, he too will lose a bunch. Walking away at a good time is shouldn't take like good for you, but that doesn't necess- necessarily make it. But if you compare, I know you don't like this, Rick. If you compare resumes, I, I would say that George St. Pierre fought tougher competition, not as recognized or as valorized as the competition John has beaten. But that run George beat, I, I would say, is a more difficult test that he fought. Uh, and so I, I think that there is an argument. I do think the conversation still starts with John at this point. But I think that there are credible arguments for DJ and GSP in that sort of regard. I would disagree very strongly on that element, but I would agree with the idea of Demetrius and Anderson Silva getting a little more recognition in the conversation because I agree rating people on when they're kind of falling off the cliff is not necessarily the way to do it. So I'm, I'm with you on that. But yeah, I think yeah. it's John, and I don't think there's a close second. Yeah, DJ deserves to be and everybody's conversation for this because I, I think we're going to look back, especially so does what Anderson. You about all, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Anderson Anderson lost a bunch and popped for drugs twice, and so he fell out of it. That I was there for that run, people. I was there picking against him every time out, and buddy, <laughs> I was wrong every yeah. friggin' time out. Hundred percent. Yeah, and I think with what, you're not alone. You know, I'm with you, buddy. You're not alone. Say we're 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 we're, we're kindling friendships yeah. here, but. It, it's just when we look back on because it's so hard to keep defending your title over and over again. And it's hardest thing in sport. Those guys did it. And DJ, I feel like DJ is just going to age like fine wine when we go back oh, yeah. and look at. Look I've at been UFC saying run. it for years, Mike, for yep. literal years on this program. Yep. But I, one last thing on this before we. What about Cyril Gaon, New York, Rick? Because this is a massive moment for him and he just got run over. Like, how do you view him after this loss in terms of his future? And where does he go from here? If you had the the magic matchmaking pencil, how do we do this? Well, there's good news and bad news. The good news is I don't think Cyril Gaon, at least in my eyes, I'm only speaking for myself. I don't want to speak for everybody. In my eyes, Cyril Gaon didn't lose much because I never rated Cyril Gaon that highly to begin with. Um, I thought there was a real possibility John Jones could do this. Um because Cyril Gunn showed his deficiencies in grappling and John Jones is the greatest fighter of all time. So the idea of like that we're parceling out and trying to do the pie chart of how much Cyril Gunn choked and how much John, not literally how much Cyril Gunn choked and John Jones kind of took it from him. (laughs) Doesn't really matter to me. I really don't, I really don't participate in that kind of conversation. Um, This seemed like a, a potential outcome. And then we saw it. Where does he go from here? He goes back to the lab and figures out how to stop takedowns and become a more well-rounded heavyweight. If he gets somebody who's going to stand and strike with him, he's going to look pretty damn good because he's a pretty decent technical kickboxer. Um, If he gets somebody who's going to try and take him down, God forbid he ever matches up with Curtis Blades, it's going to be a bad night for him. So that's where he's at in his career. I don't think he's going to be at that top, top level because there are guys who are I think better and more skilled in areas that he has some deficiencies. Um, but I didn't have my stock, you know, just frankly, and and no disrespect intended, but I just didn't have my Cyril gone stock very high coming into it. So I didn't have a huge takeaway. Jed, what's next for Cyril gone? How do we, how do we do this? 
Cue the music, Mike. Uh, Tommy Espinal, right. Tommy Espinal, na 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 na. Yeah, uh, Sirigan might suck. I don't. I I think John Jones won that fight. I think there's that's the the takeaway from that fight is oh John Jones remembered that he's the best top position, well the best clinch fighter and possibly very probably possibly I won't say probably the best top position fighter in the history of the sport. He should do that more instead of being a shitty kickboxer. Uh, and that was great. He won that fight. Sirogan might be really bad. We haven't really seen him on the ground. Uh, I was partially willing to write off the Nganu grappling loss as who anticipated Nganu just dumping him. Like that wasn't that probably wasn't in the in the range of what they thought was going to happen in that fight. Uh, but then you just look at his resume and you're like, oh yeah. Taitui Vasa, Francis Ngannou, Derek Lewis, Alexander Volkov, Jairzinho Rosenstrike, Junior Santos. You starting to see a theme developing. Not a single one of those dudes is ever shooting takedowns all that frequently. So, yeah, he. I I compared him a bit to Alex Pajeda earlier, and that's might be pretty accurate. We'll see. He's still young. He has great movement and has some uh, a lot of skills i i have concerns long term certainly if he can't develop a grappling game and or a defensive wrestling game that matters but also my big one of my major concerns coming into this fight the reason i ultimately picked john was even if seal gets the fight he wants he's one of the few dudes at heavyweight who doesn't present a real knockout threat in every single punch because that's not the way he fights he doesn't throw himself into punches and that means fights will go longer and John is the more dynamic finisher. And so it's like, well, if you're going to play around with John Jones for 25 minutes, that seems like a really bad idea. Uh, so we'll see where he develops. I think Tommy Aspinall is like the perfect matchup for him because Aspinall can strike, but also we've seen is a, a very active and aggressive grappler. Aspinall wants to come back. They are the top of the division. Also, Cyril's fought most of the other dudes, particularly the ones who aren't currently matched up against each other. So let's get Tommy back into the title conversation if he gets a win over Gone. Yeah, I like that one. Uh, you could do it in the UK. You could do it in Paris. It could be a fight night main event. Do all sorts of things with that fight. So I, I like that one. But So we're not going to do like do a round by barge, round. Barge, just a barge in between in the English channel just so both sides can come to it. Oh, I like that. You could do it on a boat. You could do it anywhere. It's so boat. it's a boat. Yes. Uh, so we're not going to do like a round by round point thing. Cause I don't have the bells and whistles. So pride rules, my friends pride. Ooh. rules. So there's a poll already on the site. So start voting. And uh, one of these two incredible competitors will emerge victorious. There is a draw option as well. There is a draw option as well. And I have, I am prepared for I, such an occasion. I'm going to go ahead and say I'm losing the poll early. Certainly pride rules. Cause I didn't say that John Jones is the greatest person I've ever seen fist fight. And fan, <laughs> fans love that man. It is. Honestly, I lied earlier. My biggest takeaway from this whole event, people still love John Jones. When did that happen? I don't remember people loving him to the extent that like. Ab absence, three, makes, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Take three sure. years off and they were ready to have yeah. John back in their life, which is shocking to me. Strap in for, for, after tough because Conor McGregor is gonna is gonna have a, a uh, hell of that a I run. understand. I know that's coming. I don't ever feel I felt like John had defenders, but most people were just like, 
whatever to him. Like I thought the the teeth. I felt that John's biggest star power was when he leaned into just being who he is, which is kind of an asshole. That's certainly when I found him the most compelling and interesting when he was just like, yeah, I was, I didn't try ever. Yeah. I was uh, the, the hookers line, like just, just a great, like that was much more compelling, but he came back being reformed John, which was garbage. And people <laughs> ate that shit up, man. They was- ate that shit up. There was little sprinkles, but yeah, I agree with you to an extent. Yeah, it, it, it was. It was. He really shows himself. It was a little bit of Connor into the second Dustin Poirier fight, like a little bit of humbled John Jones, but there was still a little bit in there. But yeah, people love him. The the easiest way to get John off of humble is to mention any other fighter's name. <laughs> if you mention a, I'm not like go watch the interviews when it's John. We're so happy to have you back. Like, how'd you do it? Like, ah. Oh, well, you know, I'm just the best, and I, I try to stay humble. I've got a great team around me. They're going to keep me. You had the same damn team, and they didn't keep you humble for shit previously. Why is this different? That's all garbage. <laughs> but the minute, the moment someone was like, Francis Ngannou sent a tweet, John immediately, instantaneously <laughs> was like, fuck that dude, pussy. Like, that is <laughs> You mention another guy around him, and like some people are excited that Kamaru Usman, who was the pound for pound best fighter in the world, he's gonna be like, he was never the best fighter because I've always been the best fighter. Go fuck yourself. Like the second somebody else gets involved, John can't do it anymore. He can't keep the facade up. It's and it's compelling theater. And you know what, chat? He's right. He's right. And you know, but you know who he put over? He put over Volkanovsky. He did put over Volkanovsky. Did he? So yeah, he did during the media day. He said he's he said happy he's... being the goat, but uh, oh, he's okay if you sort of the pound for pound. Yeah. But he got to put him over. He kind of put him over. He didn't call him what he called Ngannou or anything and, else. And so. Connor, he likes Volk and Connor. There we go. We can't, found can't punch, two you can't fighter. you can't punch down guys. He can't be mean <laughs> to people that he mm. would literally sit on. Mm. But that's I mean that was the thing. It's like the the old pro wrestling additive. We can't miss you if you don't leave. So. John left for a while, came back, and people missed him. And there's a lot of, there are a lot of people who got to learn about John Jones and who he was as a fighter. And there are a lot of newer fans. That was the first time they've ever seen him fight, which is crazy to think about as well. So there's a lot really going into that. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. 
It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. But I do want to talk about Alexa Grasso, and Jed had the opportunity to talk about Alexa Grasso, despite... Uh, the emotional roller coaster ride that was the watch party. Uh, I think Jed has come out on the other side, you know, feeling a little bit better about things. He learned lessons and he taught people some lessons. It's all about and learning. That, that's all about learning. But he, you talked Win or about learn. Yes. You also talked about uh, your biggest takeaways from that fight. So I'll turn this over to New York Rick right now. Uh, this is a huge moment for Alexa Grasso, a huge moment for Mexican MMA. Jed talked about there were a lot of people who felt the way he felt that this fight was not going to be competitive, that Valentina's physicality was just going to be too much for Alexa Grasso. And I was one of those people and I was wrong. And a lot of other people were wrong, but five days later, New York, Rick, what did you take away the most from that victory? What was it from Grasso or was your biggest takeaway on the Shevchenko side? No, it's definitely on the Grasso side. <clears throat> I'm also one of them um, who thought that this was a stylistic nightmare. Um, without the power, Alexa Grasso is a, a fine technical striker, but without the power, I thought she was going to have trouble. And I thought Valentina was going to be the more physical fighter and, and be able to muscle her around. And as we saw in the fight, those skills were a lot closer um, than a lot of people perceived on paper. And when the opportunity came, Alexa Grasso jumped on that submission um, with, with very impressive uh, speed. My bigger takeaway is on, on the Grasso side. Um, but in relation to Valentina, if that makes sense, it's this. And and it's actually not a new takeaway. It's something I've been believing for a long time. And that is that during Valentina Shevchenko's reign, all of her opponents have been minimized. How minimized and whether she's able to, able to um, make most people not realize that because of how dominant she can be um, is, uh, is, it varies by opponent. But every single time a Valentina Shevchenko fight was announced, every single fighter that was put in there was food, was supposed to be food for Valentina Shevchenko. It's just the one before the next one. You see Tyler Santos be competitive with her. And now you see somebody in Alexa Grasso who I think is better than Tyler Santos and super tough and super well-rounded. And once again, she's kind of just food for Valentina Shevchenko or perceived as food for Valentina Shevchenko. Um, it's It kind of made tough sledding for somebody like Valentina Shevchenko, who is dominant for so long. And we've just talked about in the previous um, exchange, how hard it is to be dominant for that long. Um, Alexa Grasso is really freaking good, like really good. And I say that having just said that stylistically, I thought it was a nightmare, but the, the feather uh, featherweight, the flyweight division has caught up to the extent that the top of the flyweight division is not what it once was. Um, fighters like Alexa Grasso and uh, Aaron Blanchfield are really, really skilled and talented, and we're always going to potentially be in a fight with Valentina Shevchenko. Um, so yeah, my takeaway was people slept on Alexa Grasso. I'm not about to pretend that I wasn't one of them, but um, I think there was a, it, it was a symptom of this thing where every single time Valentina Shevchenko had a new opponent and had a fight, they were just minimized to the point that they weren't going to be competitive. And it's unfair to the opponent, but it's also unfair to Valentina Shevchenko, who's fighting um, top-level competition, which I believe Alexa Grasso to be. Um, so a bit of a mixed bag there, maybe some takeaways for both sides. Um, but there's no doubt that Alexa Grasso is a top flyweight. Like, this is not a situation where we're looking at a fight that all of a sudden 
she won by quote unquote fluke. No, that was that was a fight where Alexa Grasso established herself. Um, and I'm looking forward to what she does next, whether it be a bit against Blanchfield or or runs it back with Shevchenko. Now, there were people, Jed, who were opposed to us, not a ton, who felt like Alexa was at least a live dog here and that Grasso was being supremely under underestimated and underrated. And a lot of it maybe had to do with the Shevchenko win over Tyler Santos. Like you said, maybe people thought Shevchenko was losing her fastball. A lot of people were, I thought this is, I was like, when you beat Tom Brady on the road, it doesn't matter who Brady plays at home the next game. He just goes out and kills them. And I kind of like had that same feeling about Valentina. And when we have upsets like this with betting odds and most opinions favoring Valentina because of the stylistic stuff, we always have these conversations about where this ranks in terms of like some of the biggest upsets that we've ever seen inside the octagon. And I feel like we're having this conversation a lot because we're having massive upsets happening. We're having long reigning champions lose Jed. So if you had like a Mount Rushmore of, UFC upsets, does this make it? Is it close? What do you think? Yeah, it probably makes it. I want to start by saying, uh, hand up. I was all the way wrong. Anybody claiming some kind of moral high horse or, ah, you guys didn't give a kick rocks, dude. Just kick all the rocks in the world (laughs) because ain't a single one of you mother effers were like, She's going to take the back and choke her out because that's not a realistic outcome for what happened in this fight. Nobody saw that one freaking come in. So pipe down on, on any of your, your high horsery here, right? Like if you're the one dude who wrote a breakdown and was like, Grasso is extremely underrated on the ground. She's got a great RNC. She's going to find the back. She's going to finish this. Then take all the bows you ever want. But none of the rest you did, because that's not what she's done. She had one submission in her entire career until last Saturday. She, you, ballpark it. Give me a number. How many takedowns do you think Alexa Grasso has scored in her UFC career? I have the number right in front of me. Uh, Six. It's four. Four of them. She's not what she does. So all I'm saying is just... Humble yourselves just a little bit, guys. Uh, that being said, Alexa Grasso looked great. Uh, I don't remember. What was the original question here, Mike? Is it on the Mount Rushmore biggest upsets? Oh, upsets? It's close. I don't know if it is. I mean, look, the Mount Rushmore biggest upsets, it's it's GSP Sarah. That's that's number one with the bullet. Pena Noonan's, that's also number two. I... What we know now, certainly with hindsight, Bisping's upset on Rockhold doesn't feel as big as it was at the time uh, because Luke Rockhold can't get punched in the face. And so it's a little easier. But at the moment, like we're talking about Rockhold, who was dominant and had literally just both knocked out and choked out Michael Bisping like 18 months prior. Bisping coming on short notice. I think that still makes a third. So that four spots up for grabs. And there are a number of them historically. What about home Rousey? Where's that? on that it's not on my list but that's probably the most important of any of the upsets right like that was a seismic shift but the betting markets had home pretty close to a, like a very like plus 200 or something maybe even tighter at close and a lot of people in the know thought that home had a shot in that fight uh but if you're talking significance that's number one there's there has never been a bigger upset than that fight um but if you're just looking at like 
what feels the least probable and matter to some extent that four spot there's a lot of them uh this one also might be like bisping rockhold where a couple years down the line it looks really stupid that we thought this was such a big upset but it's in the conversation i don't know if it's on there probably won't wouldn't quite make it for me but it's it's definitely in the conversation rick where are you at with this yeah, they're hard to rank. Just I looked it up real quickly for reference. I think home was like five to one. Um, it was it was quite a big betting upset at the that time. That can't is that true? Yeah. Um I think I mean, you know, you talked about Bisming Rockhold. It was kind of that, right? Like it was like Rhonda was as when she was offensively going, like she was as good as anybody, and then she couldn't take the take the shots. Anyway, um holy shit, you're right. Wow. I don't know how to I don't okay, know. Okay, that probably makes or spot then yeah um because i think one uh, what we need to do with a lot of these is we kind of need to see what happens after i know that doesn't really like logically make sense like you should be able to look in a vacuum and say this upset was bigger than this upset but i think you kind of have to see where they go from there to see how good alexa grasso really is like and and see how good valentina shevchenko really is on the downside of this um so I think we need more time, if I'm being honest. I think we need to see how the rest of, of the next couple of fights into the end of their careers play out before I can like properly rank it. Um, but it's a major upset. It is a major upset. And to Jed's point, like if you're if you're looking around for people that were sitting there with a Alexa Grasso ticket or saying they, you know, this is the path to victory for Alexa Grasso, you're gonna be looking for quite a bit. You're it's gonna be hard to find those people. So major upset but i don't i don't know historically i think i think we need more time now back to you yeah i think we gotta put so could you knob, <laughs> which is pre everyone who's watching this has no idea yeah. what i'm talking about so could you got, today so yeah so could you got dummied by glover at wec <laughs> and then knocked out nog when he was a top five light heavyweight in what was supposed to be a pride squash match and then like three months later was also supposed to be a pride squash match with Ricardo Rona and did it again. Yeah. The best. <laughs> yeah. God. Oh, like Oh six Oh eight was the best time in this I, sport. I think nonsense betting, every day. I think betting odds wise, that's like still the reigning. Pl- it has to I be believe. the biggest. Yeah. He was like plus 2,500 or something yeah. insane. It was like, like no bullshit. It was like if Jamie Pickett had just came in and knocked out Bo Nick. Yep, exactly. like that. That was the entire vibe going into that fight. And then he did it twice in the span of like four months. It was awesome. So back to the magic pencil, Jed. We know where the UFC is going to go with this. We're getting the immediate rematch more than likely. <laughs> Shevchenko's body of work as champion certainly merits that. But we all know you've been on the show for many years. You are not a huge fan of immediate rematches. But is something like this with Shevchenko with how dominant she was during this long reign that she had. Is this the exception for you? Or if you were the matchmaker, are you just going right to Alexa Grasso versus Aaron Blanchfield right now? I'm a man of principle. No, this is Blanchfield. Like, I, it's not what they're going to do. They're going to run it back. And I understand it. And that's certainly the precedent that they've set. So there's, it would be a little weird to be like, I know the precedent we've set exists, but, for you, we won't do that. I don't like it. Um, I think Grosso won the fight and should be rewarded and not have to win the fight twice. That has always been, unless it is a trilogy bout. Like, I'm okay with them doing Leon Leon Usman, 
because that's a trilogy bout. Like he won the second fight. You can always run the third fight immediately as far as I'm concerned. But I don't think it would be a big ask to say, Valentina, you've been a great champion, but you lost. There are consequences to losing. We need you to go out there and get a dub. Beat, pick up, you know, fight anybody else. You can run it back with Chukagian or whoever. Just get another win and then come back. Grosso, we're on to new business. Aaron Blanchfield is waiting. And this one hurts even more. This one feels even lamer to me. Uh, because again, I'm a right Alexa Grasso. I know I just wrote her off and paid uh, a hefty price for it. I'm gonna do it just immediately again. This is Anne Blanchfield's belt now. Like this is this was her. This really was her belt. Even uh, had she been the one to fight Shevchenko, it would appear she is the future of this division, and she will be the present as soon as she gets the title fight. And I have always been one who's like. If we know who it is, if if it's pretty clear that there's a there's a, a man or a woman who who is the future and it is or at least really, really has a good chance to be, let's not let's not fiddle around. Let's make this happen so we can start start the thing. I, I would love Aaron Blanchfield to get the next title fight. If I was in charge, it would be Blanchfield Grasso. They do it at Mexico City. Bob's your uncle, we're done. It's not what's gonna happen. Rick, put the matchmaking hat on. We know it's going to happen, but if you had the matchmaking hat, the magic one, are we going to the rematch or are we going right to Blanchfield? Do we know what's going to happen? I think we think we know what's going to happen, but I don't think we know what's going to happen. Well, timing is everything here. There's no doubt about it. Sure, sure. You know me. I am the king of the two best fighters, run them back, <laughs> right? I'm the king of that. I will watch. I will watch. A quadrilogy any day. I will I will watch you do 10 fights in a row as long as I am confident and believe that you are the two best fighters in your weight class. But what I am not is a fan of immediate rematches. For one, I don't think it's very clear that Alexa Grasso and Valentina Shevchenko are number one and two, right? I'm not confident in that. And I think Jed kind of alluded to this a, a little bit in the like crown the uncrowned king territory or crown the uncrowned queen territory in this case. I'm not 100% sure. I think Aaron Blanchfield is in that mix. I'd like to see kind of like who is number one and number two. Um, number two, I think that immediate rematch is just bogged down divisions that don't need to be bogged down. What's the problem? What's the issue with Valentina Shevchenko going out there and getting any other fight and any other win and then fighting Alexa Grasso or Aaron Blanchfield after that? Why does it need to be immediate? Why does it have to be Preach. the thing right after? There's, there's no reason to it other than this kind of reverence for the champion who's been reigning a long time. I'm sorry. Like, I don't care. I really don't care. And I'm so, and, and the days of like meritocracy are long dead. We don't need to pretend like we have these traditions that we uphold in MMA that like must survive forever. Let's just move on. Let's just get Alexa Grasso another fight, get Valentina Shevchenko another fight, and then they can meet up later if they both win. There's nothing wrong with that. It, it, and it's annoying. And we're sitting now waiting for a third fight between Juliana Pena and Amanda Nunes for what? What are we doing? Why? Why, why did it need to be run back immediately that time? And why are we waiting for it again? Every single time they do this, it feels like the UFC is trying to correct history, right? It feels like they're going back and they're trying to do a back to the future, correct the history of, we don't really want Juliana Pena as the champion. We want Amanda Nunes as a champion. So we're going to correct it. We don't really want Alexa Grasso is a champion. So now let's let Shevchenko steal the title back. I don't care for that. I, and I'm, I'm kind of 
don't don't get mad at me because I'm not speaking for the UFC and I, and I don't know that they they feel this. But if there is a tinge of that, there is a feeling of just like trying to correct what happened in a in a big upset. Um, Leon Edwards, Kamar Usman was the number one pound for pound, and he got shockingly upset by Leon Edwards. Let's let's really make him earn it this time. I'm just over that. I'm just over that. Let's move the freaking divisions on and let's really find out who are the best at the top of these divisions. And Valentina Shevchenko can go out there and beat somebody else and get a title shot right after that. That's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not disrespectful. It's how fighting works. Congratulations, Valentina. Fantastic reign. If you get the title back, nobody's going to be too upset. Nobody's going to feel like you got disrespected. Let's just do that. Cheapens the win. Also, yes. like if Valentina wins this, then we have to do a third. Precedent yeah. will demand a third fight, which is just like, why? <laughs> why? Why can't we just? Why can't? Why can't we just do? Max Max lost his second fight, and they, he fought twice. And you know what happened? The third fight ruled. We were all like, hell yeah, let's do this third fight. This makes sense. Just just fight somebody else. It's I. It's one of my least favorite parts of the competitive part of this sport especially in this division where there's so many up and comers right now too. There's Tyler Santos, there's Manu Fioro, Casey O'Neill's coming back next week sure. on the pay-per-view. I mean, there's lots of fighters right now. Straight up. I would much, much rather see Valentina Shevchenko say, you know what? I lost this one. Uh, I'm going to move to 135. I'd like to fight Raquel Pennington for a title shot. <laughs> at like, like 125 that. has got a lot of young people coming up. I've done what I needed to do here. I could try and get the belt back. Maybe I could, maybe I couldn't. I, I don't know. But the fans have been wanting for years for me to fight Amanda. I know I can't get one coming off an L. So I'm going to go pursue that now. I'm, I'm going to go back to 135. Dog shit division. Could use all the help it can get as far as people are concerned. And let the let the young guns in 125 play the game now. You know, be a kinda, much better outcome. You know it would be kind of cool and badass, though, is if uh, Valentina Shevchenko was like, you were all saying my name. You all wanted it. Casey O'Neill, your number's been called. Come on up that. and get a like, shot. And she, and she puts it on her. Um, or Casey O'Neill establishes cool. herself as, as the next thing. But that'd be pretty cool if she's like, I heard all of you. And, and now that I don't have the belt, I'm free to take one of you. I'm picking one of you and let's do it. I think that'd be pretty badass for Valentina Shevchenko. It would also be cool. The least cool outcome is her fighting Grasso again. Yeah, don't, don't, don't. It's just, it. it's just the least interesting of all the possible fights you could do here. Well, what a moment it was for Alexa Grasso. What a, what a victory. Just another thing that makes the sport so damn cool, even though the aftermath, we may not get Disagree. what we want, but the moment itself <laughs> was very Disagree, cool. Mike. <laughs> For 99.9% .9 of MMA fans, there is that 1.1% who bet all of their money on Valentina Shevchenko, and it didn't work out well. But uh, as far as the rest of the card goes, New York, Rick, I want to start with you. A lot of other things happened at UFC 285, none of which are being talked about because John Jones has taken over the headlines. We had some big wins in the main car. We had some debuts. We had some big moments in the prelims as well. So if you could crown a low-key MVP from UFC 285, a six-player award winner, if you will. Who would it be? Ugh, this is a tough one. It's probably Shavkat, and I know that's, like, the obvious, easiest answer, but it's probably Shavkat. Like, we saw some things that we hadn't seen before. He got tested against somebody who, in Jeff Neal, I think is a, is a very high-level fighter, um, and this could have been the one where it was like, yeah, you know what? Shavkat's great, but he bit off more than he could chew, and he didn't. 
and he showed his levels um, against somebody who, who I think is also very good. Um, so for me, it's probably Shavkat. Um, I was, I was impressed. I was impressed. And I, 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 if you had told me that it wouldn't have been a blowout, I wouldn't have expected to be impressed. I would have thought that I wouldn't be impressed, but he did the things in that fight that I needed to see. And I was pretty damn impressed by Shavkat. Jed, what say you? I mean, Shavkat's the most impressive of, of the thing. Um, so it's hard to argue, but if we're going low key, that also doesn't feel incredibly low key just because he was the third fight in the main card. Like he was in the prime position and he delivered uh, uh, standing bulldog choke. That's what it is. I don't, I don't know why Pete, why this is like, that's RNC. Do you know what an RNC is? It's a bulldog choke. They're the same choke. It's just one of them doesn't have hooks in. It's on the side. Like he just bulldog choked that man. It was dope. Give the man the credit for a standing bulldog, not for this wonky RNC, which is much less cool. But if I'm picking Loki, I'm going to do the man himself, DDP, Drickus Duplessis, because this guy is just the funniest fighter in the world. I, there is nothing. I will pay any amount of dollars to watch whoever he's fighting. I am in a world where I desperately hope his next fight is against the loser of the upcoming Adesanya Pejero rematch, because this man has no sense of self-regard like whatsoever. Uh, I know he was on the MMA hour and said that he can't breathe out of his nose. And like, that's why he breathes out of his mouth. I'm not here to call the man a liar. I'm not sure that that fully explains why his cardio is the way it is, but his cardio isn't a problem, which is the best part of it. He just, we see this from time to time. There are fighters who can get tired and just fight tired real, real hard. It's awesome. And he's one of them. And whoever put this fight together knew exactly what they were doing. If it was Sean Shelby or Mick, whoever it was, kudos to you. Just a, a delightful, violent ballet. And him getting on the mic afterwards, just doing all the stuff. People love him. And there is a world where we can watch this man run headlong into freaking shots from Alex Behetta later this year. And good God, I couldn't want anything more in my life. That is in my <laughs> top five fights I most want to see this year. Is Drickus Duplessis versus Alex Behetta. Because I have no idea what will happen, but it will be violent and hilarious. Uh, speaking of middleweights, I do want to touch quickly on the debut of Bo Nickel, if I could. And Rick, I'll go back to you. Finishes Cheater. Jamie Pickett. Finishes Jamie Pickett in the first round. Submits yep. him. Little controversy, potential low blow before the takedown. But we reported last night the NAC saw nothing conclusive to overturn it. Pickett's team is aware of this as well. They haven't decided as of now whether they will continue the appeal or not. And even if they did, it seems pretty clear that nothing will come of it. But after he got the contract on the contender series, people were saying he could fight and beat top 15 guys right now. We had people on this very show, our own Damon Martin, there's receipts saying that he would beat Israel Adesanya right now coming off the contender series. So after this performance, everybody seems still pretty high on him, but I guess some of the expectations have been toned back at smidge fighters like Henry Cejudo come out and said, look, he's green. Very high ceiling, but no need to rush this guy. Get six wins, then fight a top 10 guy. So I'm curious where you are at with Bo Nickel right now. What could be next for Bo Nickel? Do you give him a big step up, a small one, or just keep him kind of where he's at right now? 
first, let me say, oh, thank God, because I thought you were going to ask me about the stupid knee controversy and I was going to no. be extremely upset. Um, <laughs> Bo Nickel, um, it, it's it's one of two ways, right? They could rush him along, right? There's a there's a real evidence that they're able to kind of do that and and they've been inclined in, in certain scenarios to do that, to give him favorable style matchups to rush him higher into the rankings. But I just don't see a reason. Bo Nickel's really young in his MMA career. We've seen somebody like Henry Cejudo as the top cream of the crop level wrestler um, come along and um, ha have a path to um, competing for championships. Um, I don't see a reason why you need to rush him into it in that capacity. Um, we don't know enough. He's not fought anybody that... I would consider somebody who could have tested him or really pressed him. Um, so I think you do the slow build. There's there's literally no reason that I can think of that you need to rush this bone nickel thing overnight. Continue to get him cage experience. Continue to let him train and improve in between fights. I don't need to. I I personally don't care about him fighting in the top ten right now. I know the kind of narratives are around his potential and talking about I want to fight Hamzad and things like that. I don't need to see it now. I'm fine with waiting a little bit on that. I think the the inclination to rush everybody just for boredom's sake is kind of lame. Um, so yeah, give them a give them a nice step up, a, a solid guy on the roster. Um, but don't, we don't need to rush him into the rankings. There's there's literally no reason for that. He's got plenty of time. Jad, what do you think? Well, how are we doing this? What's our goal? What are we trying to accomplish with Bill Nickel? That's that's how I. That, that is the question for what we're doing. Are we trying for him to be a long reigning champion? Um, then yeah, slow build for sure. Like that's you, you are laying the foundation for this man's combat sports career. He has some of a foundation with the wrestling background, but MMA wrestling and, and wrestling like D one freestyle wrestling, folk style wrestling, they're not the same. So you're laying the foundation. We have seen, I made this argument, something I wrote, I don't know, two weeks ago that, Bo Nickel could abs is probably the best prospect of the last like five years. Um, and one of the best prospects ever on paper. We've seen people with similar accolades fall short. We've seen many of them succeed too, you know, but for every Henry Cejudo and Daniel Cormier, there's a Jake Rochalt who had just as many collegiate accomplishments. Can any of you tell me the last time, like who Jake Rochalt's most recent fight was or what his biggest win was like, you never know how the ball is going to break. The best thing you can do is do the slow build. The UFC has historically not been in, been in the market of slow building. They are in the market of, we're not going to throw you immediately in the deep water. We're going to, we're going to give you a soft pitch. We're going to give you another one. We may give you a third, depending on how we're feeling. And then we're going to give you a fastball. We're going to put something right down the plate and see if you can make contact. And if you can, then we're off to the races. We'll see just how high you can go. We've seen that historically. Saw them do that with John Jones, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's what's in store for Bo Nickel. It's not what I would do. I, he's, he's so young, so green. I would just give him – Henry Cejudo fought for the title in like his 11th pro fight. I was just looking this up while, while Rick was talking. And it was too early. Like You saw that. It was simply too early. He's fighting Demetrius Johnson, one of the best fighters, maybe the best fighter in history – and his 11th pro fight, that's way too soon. And he got run the over in that fight. That fight was not – that was the fight that I was like, oh, Demetrius Johnson's the best fighter in the world. He got run over. Bo Nickel could beat top 15 guys right now. If you told me he was fighting Alex Bejar tomorrow, I'd probably pick Bo. Like, I don't 
that's partly because it's middleweight's weird also at the moment, but there are other guys in the top 15 he could beat. I don't, we don't need to see him do that. We need to have him develop at least to some extent. I would have him on a two year track of we're going to get you three fights this year, 2023, all the same level, like maybe slightly better than Jamie Pickett, but we're not trying to do too much. 2024, my target would be for the end of 2024, five fights from now, for Bo to be fighting a top 15, maybe a high end of the top 15, you know, top 10, top 11 guy. And then we can see, because once you're in the top 15, we see this across all weight classes. You can move quickly and the and you could hold that ranking forever because of how that works. So, I mean, Drickus Duplessis got in the top 15, like two, what, like a fight, two fights ago. And now he's top five and probably a win away. Like you can speed run him once he's in there, but just take the time to get him in there when you can feel very confident that he will do, do very well. That's what I would want if I was Bo's management. So I was one, if I'm the UFC and view him as a potential star to build around, I think that that's the best course of action. I don't think it's going to happen though. Well, that is UFC 285, UFC 286, kind of a tough spot to be in to try to have to follow that card two weeks later, but we'll talk more about that on next week's show. Uh, the poll is up and it is very, very close. Pride rules, this could be it. This could determine it all. Uh, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So let's talk about this weekend. We have multiple events. We have multiple cards of note. And we have Bellator 293 tomorrow. Kickoff of the lightweight Grand Prix. Two fights in the opening round. We have the main event for the title between Usman Ramagamadoff and Benson Henderson. That's the main event. UFC is back on Saturday in Las Vegas, not at the Apex, which is a nice change of pace, regardless the reason for it. I'm not complaining. That one headlined by Piotr Jan versus Marab Dwellishvili. So Jed, you know where I'm going with this. You can only watch one. You can't find out results of the other until Monday. What are you watching? Bellator 293 or UFC Las Vegas? This is actually pretty competitive this time around. Usually there's a really clear answer. Uh, I'm going with Bellator in this one. Um, but it's competitive. So the UFC's main event is really good. Um, I'm excited to bring this up, though, because I talked about this on No Bets Bar this week. I just want to throw a quick shout-out to everybody who erroneously claims that Bantamweight is the best division in this sport, because there are five, count them, five Bantamweight fights on the UFC uh, event this weekend, and ain't one of y'all coming out being like, this is the greatest fight night I've ever seen in my life. I cannot wait to watch this. It's like, this is okay. This is not bad because it's not as good. If you picked any random five lightweight fights, it's going to be a better card. 
guarantee it. And fortunately, I can do that by just looking at Bellator and being like, oh, this is the start of their lightweight Grand Prix. That's far more compelling and interesting to me. Usman Nurmagomedov, arguably the future of this division, is about to fight against the past of this division in a fight that theoretically should be a whitewashing, but I know nothing anymore after last weekend, so who knows? Uh, the Sh- I, is it Shabli? His name can't be Shabli, right? Shabili? It's Shabli, I believe. Shabli, okay. I just assumed it couldn't be Shabli. Shabli versus uh, Tofik is an awesome fight. That fight rules so much. Uh, Moldovsky Vassal is a relevant fight, even if it is going to be a tough hang. Michael Page <laughs> going to Yamauchi, like that fight rules. Like Enrique Brazola, Eric Perez, also that fight rules. Wolves. like there's just so much going on in the Bellator card. Even like their their early prelims are always trash. Um, that's just sort of how they make up their cards with people who don't have any experience. But when you get into the meat of it, it's really, really good. I will take that over. Uh, I'm sorry, AK, I hate to do this to you. Over watching Vitor Petrino take on the pleasure man, Anton Turkalj. <laughs> Rick, where are you at? Are we on... Bellator side or the UFC side here? Yeah, I'm pretty firmly on the Bellator side. Um, I will also grant, though, that it's a little bit of Bellator's punching above their average weight and UFC's punching below, not below their average weight, but maybe at their average weight, which they have declined. This is, in. This is above their average weight for their yeah, fight night cards you're, over the past two years. You're right. It is slightly, but man, it, they have just destroyed fight night cards to the point where it's like if we get something like this we're kind of like we're salivating and it's fine it's fine um but for me there's just more compelling matchups on the bellator card i really care and to one of the points jed mentioned like yeah it should be a whitewashing but like benson henderson finds ways to like squeeze out split decisions as a dog on random fights so i'm kind of intrigued by that one i gotta admit even though it feels like it should be one-way traffic for usman all of a sudden benson wins a split decision is is a is a world that i i could see living in um so yeah i'm, I'm just more compelled by all the fights on the main card for bellator are more compelling for me that's it just comes down to that and it's a good ufc fight night as we said like it's a little above the average ufc apex or vegas whatever they call it 60x but it's not enough to to top bellator this week so bellator did a good job here i agree i love the mosiah shabli fight it shouldn't be a low-key banger because it's a five-round tournament fight and a co-main event but nobody's talking about it nobody's talking about it because all eyes are on this main event and it's crazy. Usman or Maga Madoff, I, I looked at the lines before we hit record anywhere from a minus 1600 favorite to a minus 2000 well, favorite. In I would say that's cheap. Minus 1600 is a good line. That's wild. That's incredible. Uh, one last thing for the sake of time. Uh, let's talk about the main event for the UFC. I'll start with you, New York, Rick. We got Piotr Jan versus Marab Dewalishvili. Bantamweight is fun. Kind of a mess right now. Many contenders emerging with championship aspirations. We have the Aljamain Sterling versus Henry Cejudo title fight targeted for UFC 288. Sean O'Malley's out there waiting in the wings. We have Cheeto Vera versus Corey Sanhagen going down a little over two weeks' time in the main event of UFC San Antonio. New York, what is at stake in this main event on Saturday between Jan and Marab with the division looking the way it does right now? It's a little bit complicated. It's a little bit muddy for the fact that Jan against um 
Aljamain Sterling is not really like a makeable fight. And Marab against Aljamain Sterling is not really a makeable fight um, because they won't fight. So it kind of muddies the waters a little bit. Um, but I do think that there are potential title implications depending on how the title fight breaks and how the guys look in this in this particular performance. Uh, but it's messy. It really is just messy at Bantamweight when one of the top guys is somebody who's fought the champion twice and the other guy is somebody who is teammates with the champion and won't fight him uh, and will only fight for the belt when he leaves the division. So it makes it, it makes it hard to kind of establish the stakes. But I do believe these are two of the best Bantamweights and I do believe that whoever comes out of this will have a strong claim to be able to say I should be next in line. It's just will they be able to... Will the champion be somebody that they can do that, where they can they, they can plant that flag and establish that for? So again, it's messy. It's messy at bantamweight, no doubt about it. Um, if Henry Cejudo wins, that opens things up for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, these these are just two of the best bantamweights, and the winner of this will be able to sit pretty um, in terms of that title picture. But again, it really just depends on who the champion is. Jed, what are they? What are these guys fighting for? They are fighting for a very long wait, and I'm going to say probably an interim title shot. So here's what's going to happen, right? We've got Cejudo. We've got um, um, Aljamain Sterling are going to be fighting it out. If Sterling wins and Marab wins, they won't fight each other. That's actually the best-case scenario for Marab because if Sterling and Marab win, there's at least a world where Sterling says, F it, I'm moving up to 145. And Morab gets to fight for the belt the same way Habib tried to do with Islam. That's I've been pitching that as the, the correct scenario for them to try and make happen. I think that can happen. If, which I think is the more likely outcome, Suhudo wins. Uh I don't Suhudo is going to instantaneously fight Sean O'Malley because he is not a dummy. He is gonna look at that band and be like, I would like to, I would like to hit the pinata filled with gold coins. Um, I will fight that man. Sterling will then be, I don't know. I have no idea. Maybe fight Cheeto Vera. I have no clue. And Marab will be in the worst case scenario because he will have nothing to do. He will then have to fight somebody else, Rob Font or whoever it is, because Sudo is going to do that. And then I guarantee you, I would bet, and this means a lot less coming off of this past weekend, I would bet every dollar I own that after Cejudo beats Sterling and then beats O'Malley, he is never fighting at bantamweight again. He is never doing it again. There is no world. He will hold that belt. He won't leave it this time. He will hold it until the UFC takes it from his hands while crying from the rooftops that he wants to fight Volkanovsky. So everyone wants, needs to hope Cejudo loses. So if he does, neither Marab nor Jan are getting a crack at a belt anytime soon. And if it does happen in the next year, at best, it's an interim. If Sterling wins, at least there's more opportunity, uh, certainly for, for Jan to try and get another crack at it. But they're just kind of fighting to hold place right now and to sit and wait around for something else to happen in the future. Well, we will see what happens. And the good news about this UFC card... 3 p.m. prelims, 6 p.m. main card. I don't care why it's happening that way, but I'm very happy it's happening that way. Uh, nice. So there you go. It's a, it's yeah. a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful so thing. All these fight night has something to do with it. 
the venue probably has something to do with it. If this was an Apex card, they can they can do it whenever the hell they want. So, yeah, but I love that, and we all know why they're doing that. So people can go back to the Apex and take in some power slapping if they would if they so choose. Woo. But there you go. All right. This has been a spirited battle, gentlemen. You agreed on some things, you disagreed on others. And that's the spirit of this program. That's what the show is all about. We are ending the poll right now. Uh, and this has just been uh, Jed, a, a is, very close battle. Jed, is that to say that you believe Rob wins? I kind of was reading the leaves there. Like, Oh, no, I, I think Jan's going to win. Okay, because you didn't um, mention I, I don't have second. any confidence okay. in it. I just... I. Jan probably should have. He, de- I thought he beat Sean O'Malley, very close fight, but I thought he beat him. I mean, we all know what happened in the two Sterling fights. I, th- I thought Jan lost the second one, but many mm-hmm. people don't believe it. Like, there are some people out there who, not without at least a, a some sort of a leg to stand on, can rightly believe that Piotr Jan is undefeated, um, like or should be undefeated. And sure. so it's like. I think he should beat Marab, but I don't have any confidence at, at this point because he seems to be low rolling his career. Same, same, same feeling, same boat yeah. as you on that for sure. But well, yeah, even if he wins, like Sterling's not going to fight him again. Sterling no. is either going to one forty five or he's going to fight. Like the best case scenario is Sterling O'Malley. wins. Yeah, but he's yeah he's going to fight O'Malley before trying to go to one forty five. So Jan is also stuck in a holding pattern. It's just yeah. O'Malley's in a good spot. O'Malley's in a good spot. He's doing great. Well, that fight, that fight could go to the judges. Uh, but in MMA, there's only three judges. Today, there's hundreds and hundreds of judges. <laughs> millions. Uh, pride millions rules. Judges. Millions. Millions and millions. Billions. Billions even. Well, we're not one. Calm down. We're, <laughs> yeah, we're you're not right. one. Uh, draw was an option, Ooh. which 23% of the judges went with draw. That's what I would have gone with, but... Uh, this this majority was, draw. This is a very close battle. Only two percentage points separated these two combatants, and the winner with thirty nine percent of the vote to his opponents, thirty seven percent of the vote. That is close. New York Rick gets oh. it done. Thirty nine percent. He is the people's champion today. Pride rules. See, it's. The normal round-by-round round rules, Rick, it's not your thing, but when we throw you in a pride scenario, you are thriving, my man. So we're clear, these aren't pride rules. Pride doesn't have draw as an option. <laughs> pride so, plus. This, is, pride this plus. is more shooter rules that we're operating on right it's, now. it's funny you say that because I've won all these exhibitions and my record still stinks. My record stinks. <laughs> Um, Luckily, we don't have all the bells and whistles, so we can't even put your record on the board. So today, yeah, you are one and zero, New York, Rick. What would you like to say? You know what? It's not about the record, Mike. It really is about being here and just being able to spend this quality time with with both of you guys and anybody you know who comes on this great program, um, and with the fans. Like you know, you got. I love you as as wrong as you got this one, and Jed deserved to win. I I love you guys with all my heart and. Um, you're the reason we do this. Like it, this is all for you, and just being able to work in MMA and enjoy this career and this life that we've built, all three of us here and and all and everybody else who brings you content, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to be alive. It's a beautiful day. Go out, have some fun, get some sun, enjoy some fights this weekend. We're lucky. We're all lucky people, and it's just it's just a miracle. 
um, and and I'm and I'm so happy to be able to share this with everybody. Rick Jones, question from the back. Uh, Francis Ngannou <laughs> tweeted at you. F that guy. <laughs> Don't even mention his name to me. <laughs> that was like the first thought I had was exactly. I'm so glad you dunked me. that down. <laughs> uh, unbelievable. Jed, oh, how, how are we feeling? This is a spirited battle. Spirited battle. It is a great time. Uh, I have recently, I'm just as a teaser, I've recently figured out what the next actual good power slap can be. So, uh, Dana, just cut your losses. This is very clearly not going to make you the money that you had hoped it would. But I have an idea that that can really can really do it. So, you know, send me an email. Jed, Jed Mishu's power slap. Wow. I didn't no, see that it's, coming. It's much better than power slap. <laughs> okay. We're not revealing this. This is for no, no, no. Can't do. I can't give it away. I'm waiting for the email from the UFC. Trust me, though. Right. This one, this one's a winner. Well, the MMA or fight, media or fight it. circus will actually do it because I will give it to them for free. Ah, oh, there you go. There you go. When's their next event? Have they announced it? Uh, I don't remember. Maybe I, April. I believe there's some things coming soon. I may have talked to people who know things. There's things. Uh, There's things happening. I mean, it's going to be very exciting. It's always exciting. I want to say that they have something in April, but I can't remember that exactly for certain. Well, we will keep. But you they do have they do have Rampage now under some level of contract. <laughs> yeah. So, good God, who know who knows what we're about to be doing? Oh my goodness gracious! Well, shout out to Fight Circus. Shout out to all of you for watching. We'll be back next week. To recap Bellator 293, UFC Las Vegas, and we'll be officially on the road to UFC 286 in London. The rematch between Leon Edwards and Kamar Usman. We get the lightweight juggernauts fights between Justin Gaethje and Rafael Fazeev. We get maybe the middleweightiest middleweight championship fight, if we want to go that route, with Marv Vittori against Roman DeLidze and the return of Casey O'Neill. There's... This isn't the biggest, like, name value card, especially if you compare it to UFC 285, but there are some freaking bangers on this one. So we are very excited for that. We'll talk more about that next week. So for Rick, for Jed, I am Mike Keck. Back next week. Good night, everybody. Love you. Media Podcast Network. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible 
eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.